All right, so today marks the first Sunday of year two of this series, Three Years with Jesus, that we started a uh, couple, uh, started a year ago. Um, so day one of year two of Three Years with Jesus, and within this full year arc, we'll have several mini-series. This first one is called Stories Jesus Told. So we're going to be looking at different parables that Jesus told. Jesus came and he taught and he lived and often when he taught he used stories and so for today and then the following four weeks we're going to look at different stories, different parables that Jesus told and the one today is found in Matthew 21 if you'd like to follow along. Uh, there's Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Matthew 21, and we're in verse 28, and it starts with Jesus saying, what do you think? So first off, uh, Jesus wants us to think, point number one. Um, but I want to back up from there because who is Jesus speaking to here? Where is Jesus? And what is going on? Because if we don't understand the answer to those three questions, then I think we're going to miss a lot of what's going on in this story that Jesus is going to tell. So if we back up to the beginning of Matthew 21, this is uh, what's often called the triumphal entry. It's when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. So immediately uh, we know, okay, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's at the temple and it's days before he's going to die. It's days before he will be crucified. And so this is the last week of Jesus's life when he's speaking to someone and says, what do you think? And he enters Jerusalem on a donkey, which is a fulfillment of an ancient prophecy by a prophet named Zechariah that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, and the people are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. So the people, the common people of Jerusalem and people from all over because uh, it's Passover festival time and so there's hundreds of thousands of Jewish people in town for the Passover and they're shouting Hosanna to the son of David. And so what they're saying is they're proclaiming that this is the promised Messiah who would come in the line of David. And they are proclaiming that Jesus is this Messiah. Now. This is a huge threat to a number of people, that the common people would proclaim Jesus as Messiah. It's a threat to Caesar, who has set himself up as Lord of the entire Roman Empire, of which Israel is a part. It is a threat to Herod, who tried to have Jesus killed when he was a baby. Uh, it's actually Herod's son, Herod Agrippa, who now is king in Jerusalem. It's a threat to his power that people are proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, and it's a threat to the Jewish religious leaders of the day who control and are in charge of the temple. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem towards the temple and the people shout Hosanna to the son of David, the religious leaders are deeply concerned. They do not like this. They do not like even more what Jesus does next. In verse 12, Jesus enters the temple courts and he drives out those who are buying and selling there. 
people who are money changers, they're exchanging money and uh, charging an exorbitant fee to do so. They're selling animals that the chief priests and temple authorities have said are considered clean and worthy to be sacrificed and selling them at an exorbitant rate. And so those who are impoverished are being cheated in the exchange of money and in purchasing an animal to sacrifice at the temple. And so Jesus overturns their tables and he says, you've turned my house into a house of prayer. This should be, no, this house should be a house of prayer for all people. Instead, you've turned it into a den of robbers. And he's quoting from two prophets when he says that, Isaiah and Jeremiah. And Jesus is calling out the religious elite and saying, you're taking advantage of others. And what is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, instead, you've turned into a den of robbers for your own profit and your own power and your own position, which you are trying to preserve. So now they're really upset at Jesus. And so we get to verse 23, where Jesus enters the temple courts again. And while he was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? So they're asking Jesus, listen, you, you came into the temple courts, which we control, which we're in charge of, and you upended tables, and you said that we're not doing it right. Who gave you authority to do these things? Because we didn't give you this authority. So by what authority are you speaking? Now in the Jewish context of the day, the people believed that authority came from one of two places, either directly from God or passed down over generations from Moses all the way down to the current priests of the day. And so these current priests of the day say, we know where we got our authority. It's passed down to us from Moses. Where'd you get your authority, Jesus, to come into in here and speak to us this way and do the things that you're doing? So Jesus, in brilliant rabbinic fashion, does not give them a straight answer. Instead of answering their questions, he responds with a question. Jesus replied, I will also ask you a question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. So Jesus' cousin, John, who came and baptized in the Jordan, he says, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or human origin? In other words, John's authority, did it come directly from God or did it come from human origin? Now, this is a troubling question for these religious leaders. As you'll see, they discussed it so that they leave Jesus for a moment and huddle up and say, Let's, we gotta figure out what we're gonna say here. They discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they don't want to say that John's authority came directly from God because they didn't believe him. But they also don't want to say it's of human origin because all the people believed John and believed John's authority came directly from God. And so they don't know what to do. And notice the motive behind it. We are afraid of the people. 
there is a resistance building among the people against the religious elite of the day. And they are afraid of what's going to happen. They believe John was a prophet. They believe Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah. And they don't know what to do. They're shaking in their boots. They're afraid of what the people are rising up to do. And they don't know how to respond to Jesus. So they come back and they answer Jesus, we don't know. So Jesus answered, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Uh, you read through the Gospels and Jesus rarely gives a straight answer to people. Uh, he speaks in riddles, he speaks in stories. Uh, and so Jesus here says, neither will I give you an answer about my authority, where it comes from. And then immediately he launches into the story, still speaking to the religious leaders of the day. He says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Okay. In the first century, this would have been incredibly offensive to the father and shameful to the father for a son to say no to a father's request. I mean, it's, we think about it in our day. It's bad enough when a child disobeys a parent or disrespects a parent for us. In the first century, it would have been deeply, deeply shameful. Uh, what we don't know in this story, Jesus doesn't say how the father responded, if the father reprimanded the son or if the father just let it go and let the son think through it. We, we don't know exactly, but what we do know in this story is that the son said no to his father, but then had a change of mind and went and worked in the vineyard. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first, they said. So the religious leaders said, well, it, it was the first. Even though the first said no, uh, he is the one who ultimately went and worked in the vineyard. So it's the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Jesus is really befriending these guys. I mean, he is, ju he is just appealing to everything that they don't like. Uh, for John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. Now, a couple of words I want to talk about here, and then I want to talk about the story a little more. Uh, because there's a couple of words in this story that I think in our day have a lot of religious baggage around them. The first is righteousness. Uh, this just seems like this religious term that has a lot of baggage around it that uh, what does it mean what does righteousness mean what does this even mean that Jesus says John came and showed you what righteousness look, looks like ultimately it's right living it, it's honoring God with your life it's uh, it's not 
just doing what the religious leaders were talking about in terms of every jot and tittle, every rule. They, they had this whole list of rules to live by, not just the Old Testament rules, but their own rules that they had added to it. And that's what it meant to be a good person, was to follow all those rules. And righteousness, according to John and according to Jesus, is right relationship. It's not a, a, adhering to a rigorous law. It's right relationship. What does it look like to live in right relationship with God and with one another? That's what's going on here in Jesus's idea of righteousness. Secondly, the word repent. And we've talked about this before, and I'll probably keep talking about it because I think there's so much religious baggage around this word. I mean, you say the word repent, and how many of us automatically have this feeling of shame I automatically have this feeling of I, i'm guilty I, guilt like there's something wrong with me and i need to repent uh, that this is not what the intention of repentance is repentance is actually party language when you think about the the prodigal son who, uh, parable and the son who went off and squandered his father's wealth and then turned around that's what repentance is to change the mind or turn around and then there was a party because this son came home repentance is party language and the word that is used in verse 32 when he's talking to the religious leaders even after you saw this you did not repent is the same word used in verse 29 when the first son changed his mind so this word is used twice in this passage, but it's only translated repent in verse 32. But in verse 29, when the first son changed his mind, it's the same word, he repented. Or he, had an, he experienced a change of concern after a change of emotion. So I wonder what, what emotion arose in the first son when his father came to him and said, go and work in the vineyard. Uh, was it anger because he didn't want to? He had something better to do? Uh, I don't know what the emotion was. But something, there was an emotional response when his father said, go and work in the vineyard. And eventually that emotional response changed. And he realized the error. And he turned. He changed his mind. He went in a different direction and he went and did what the father asked of him. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I can relate to both of these sons. Uh, for a long time in my life, I feel like there was this invitation from God to walk with Jesus, to walk the way God invites us to live, to, to uh, live in harmony with God. And I, I just simply often said, no, no. I, I'm going this direction. Until there was this moment for me where by God's grace, the spirit seduced me and woke me up in such a way that I realized, oh my goodness. There is a so much better way of being human. 
there is such a better way of life. And it's this invitation to walk with God and be present to Jesus and to others the way Jesus is present to us. And at the same time, I can relate to the second son who, who says, I'm all in, I'm all in, man. Yep, I'm going to the vineyard. And then I don't go. Uh, whether it's distractions or preoccupations or whatever, the busyness of the day that comes up uh, that takes precedent over the invitation to work the vineyard. Uh, I, I wonder which son you relate to the most. Uh, what is the vineyard? What is the invitation from God for you that you've said no to, but then ultimately you work? Or that perhaps you've said yes to, but you've neglected? Uh, we're, we're often a muddled mess of both, aren't we? Um, so these... Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders, and you can only imagine their emotional response when Jesus says, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom ahead of you. Uh, probably wasn't a great emotional response. But Jesus is just being consistent with everything he's been saying and doing all along. The last will be first, first will be last. Like, you think you're in the front of the line and suddenly you realize you're, you're taking up the rear. Uh, that the invitation into the kingdom looks so much different than what our perspective may be. And that Jesus' invitation is for everybody. Does this mean that the religious leaders are out? I, I don't know, I, I liken it to, the par again, the parable of the prodigal son, where there's a party going on, and the elder brother's outside pouting about what's going on, rather than enjoying the party. Everyone's invited into the party, and the father even has so much love and grace, he, he leaves the party to talk to the elder brother and, and beg him to come into the party and tells him that everything I have is yours. What are you pouting about? It's all yours. Come to the party. Uh, Jesus doesn't say that they're out of the party. He just simply says there's people entering the party ahead of you, and you didn't even realize it. Part of the beauty and the grace of the story is both of the sons are sons. They're both sons of the Father. One chooses to do what the Father asks, even after saying no, and one chooses not to do what the Father asks, even after saying yes. But they're still both sons of the Father. No one's excluded. Everyone's invited. It's simply the response. What's the response? Will you accept the invitation to the party? Will we have a change of emotion that leads to a change of concern, that leads to a change of mind, a change of heart toward God and toward all of God's children. Uh, these religious leaders are concerned about losing what rightfully belongs to them. 
They have control and power of the temple, and they don't want to lose what is theirs. So I, I wonder this. Uh, I don't think the question is, how do we keep what is rightfully ours? Rather, how are we living a life of radical dissent that invites and includes everyone? I think this is part of the invitation from Jesus. Next slide. What if we were to ask about our own tendency to want to keep things as they are? What if we were to ask about our own resistance to change? What if we were to ask, what is behind my belief that I am right? And what is behind my unwillingness to truly listen to the perspective of another? That's a lot of questions. Um, these religious leaders, they, they want to keep things the way they are. They're comfortable. They have power. They have position. They have control. And this silly rabbi comes and disrupts it all. And they don't like it. Uh, so Jesus tells them a story. What do you think? What do you think? Which son? Jesus wants them to truly consider it. And I think he wants us to truly consider it. What, what do you think? And where in your life is God wooing you into something more that, that may require change, may require you to feel uncomfortable, but it's an invitation to a different way of being human. Uh, and this, next slide, is the hard work of human formation. It is easy to speak or post your view. It is much harder to put yourself in the shoes of someone else and try to see life from their perspective. Uh, where in life, for you, um, are you finding it difficult to see the perspective of someone else? Um, what is the emotional response that Jesus is inviting you to change? Um, the next slide is going to elicit an emotional response. So before it comes up, Pay attention to what the emotional response is. It's not necessarily right or wrong. It's not necessarily good or bad. I just wonder, pay attention to what's going on internally. Oh, Matt, why'd you have to go there? Uh, was the response anger? Was the response fear? Was the response, yeah! Uh, I, I imagine in a room like this, a whole bunch of responses, emotional responses. Very different, probably. Um, I simply want to invite us to pay attention to that. What is the emotional response? and why.
um, just, uh, shouldn't be shocking to me, but somewhat shocking to me, the response this elicited in our culture. Like, creating our own, like, how about this guy? How about this person? How about this person? Uh, really, a, a multinational company elicited that kind of response in us. Is it worth that amount of emotional energy? Um, to, to prove our point or our perspective. Um, when Colin Kaepernick first started sitting for the National Anthem, he didn't start by kneeling, he started by sitting, uh, there was a, a Army Green Beret guy named Nate Boyer who penned an open letter to him. Nate Boyer's initial emotional response was anger. And he penned an open letter which also said, but I'm trying to listen. I don't get it, I don't like it, but I'm trying to listen. He at least was trying to listen. And so Colin Kaepernick called him and said, well, let's get together and listen to each other. And they met for an hour and a half. And it was an Army Green Beret person who convinced Colin Kaepernick to take a knee rather than to sit. Because these two, next slide, next slide, we'll come back to that. Uh, these two were willing to listen to each other rather than just be angry with each other. Now I want to make something really clear. I'm not on stage taking a position, okay? So what I am doing is trying to help us pay attention to an emotional response that perhaps Jesus is inviting us to change so that we then have the capacity to listen to someone we may disagree with. I think that's part of what it means to walk this kingdom life Jesus invites us into. What does it look like to change? Not necessarily change your opinion or your perspective, but to change in such a way that sees the other differently. Rather than calling them names or getting angry. Uh, I thought we might need a little lighthearted moment after that. So it, given we're in Marin, I did appreciate a lot of the funny ones that came out. And this one I liked. In something, believe, even if understand me, you don't. Just it. Do it just. <laughs> Gotta love Yoda. Um, the, the way of Jesus invites us, I think, to a different different emotional response, a different mindful and thoughtful response, a different heart response. Uh, because it is this Jesus, it, for any of us who, who recognize the way of Jesus, it, it is a way of sacrifice. And it's this Jesus who modeled that for us and showed us a different way of being in God's kingdom. 
And Paul pens this letter to an early church in Philippi. And he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Je Jesus gave of himself for the sake of the world. And I think that the long, hard path of human formation is being willing to recognize that we are invited to pay attention to a different way of being human in the world, that, that we are invited to uh, put the interests of others before our own at times as Paul says earlier in Philippians 2, that we are invited to uh, be willing to die to self in order to hear and listen to the other. Uh, what does it look like for us to walk this path that Jesus walked, for us to walk this path that Jesus invites us into, that, that Jesus even on the night he was betrayed, betrayed by one of his closest followers. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. I'm sacrificing everything for you. This is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, his self-giving love, you proclaim until he comes. So this morning, as we come forward and take the bread and dip it in the cup, uh, what does it look like to consider, rather than how do we keep what is rightfully ours, how are we living a life of radical dissent that invites and includes everyone? Uh, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way he invites us into. And my, my deep prayer for us this morning uh, is that we would be open to that. God, thank you that you love us, that Jesus gave up all the glory of heaven to come and be one of us, to take on flesh and blood, and ultimately for that flesh and blood to be nailed to a cross.
opening the way to you in a whole new way. God, we, all of us, me, everyone in this room, we struggle with being like the first son sometimes, like the second son sometimes. We struggle with our perspectives. We struggle with allowing our emotions and our mind and our hearts to be changed more and more toward you. So God, I pray that by your spirit, you would do a deep work of transformation in our lives. And allow us to be open to it. In the name of Jesus, amen.